Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Thank you again for listening to Try Love. Uh, I am Jason. I'm Cody. I'm Harry. I'm John. We are going to be talking about McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Robert Altman's 1971 anti-Western film. We're going to talk about exactly what that means, if anything. Uh, Let me give a quick plot summary just from IMDb. Jason's really taking charge here. here. Really taking charge. Uh, A gambler and a prostitute become business partners in a remote Old West... He did it again! (laughs) In a remote Old West mining town. And their enterprise thrives until a large corporation arrives on the scene. And That's later, mining town for listeners, not whining. I, I repeated it. I a went whining. back on myself. It's whining, dining, and 69 I'll watch this movie. It's a whining town. <laughs> That's what they McCabe call it. McCabe doesn't of whining. <laughs> There's just a hey. sign that says that on the it's property. Pretty good. Um, so where to start with this movie? Uh, do, do we want to just talk about who plays who and... Uh, sure. Stuff so um, we know what we're talking about has some vocabulary. It stars Warren Beatty as John McCabe and uh, Julie Christie as uh, Mrs. Miller, Constance Miller. It says in Wikipedia. I don't know if we ever heard her first name. Yeah, I have yeah. no idea. It was um, Constance. That did. Um, I think when a resident of that the establishment where Mrs. Miller works, I think she was calling for her and she was like calling her name when she was oh, nice. in, in uh-huh. her room smoking or something at, sure. at one point. It is hard to hear a lot of the audio in this movie. Yeah, so. the, the audio mixing is <laughs> really fair. weird. I'm so yeah. thankful I watched this movie with subtitles. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you did? Oh, you didn't yes. see it at the trial on? No. Nope. Nope, sorry. You son of a bitch. I wonder That's if it cool. was just a bad, like, if, if it's just degraded that much, or if the sound design and, like, mixing was really that bad in 1971, I don't know. Too. It's a good question. Yeah, well, it's funny, because Robert Altman talked about that, how in different theaters it would sound different, where the mixing would sound great if, like, he said that it would happen when, if there wasn't too many people in the audience... It would. Uh, you could hear it clear and crisp, and then if there was a packed crowd, it would be really muddled. I don't know how that makes a difference that necessarily. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a real thing. Yeah, that's I'm what not an I, was like, I was like, all right, Robert, that's cool. Um, was there's this, also a lot of overlapping dialogue. But Was yeah. this before uh, George Lucas came in and just, like, table-flipped uh, theater audio forever with THX? Audio? Oh, yeah, well, the THX. Did that debut that with Star Wars? I think so. I don't know. I, I remember finding out this story, but anyway, anyway, that's completely irrelevant. There's that one scene uh, where McCabe and Mrs. Miller are talking to each other in like the bar, and they're they're like these these pine or maybe maybe not pine, maybe it's like cedar. The wood probably doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> uh, like boards that they're walking over in this this like newly built bar, and like their footsteps are louder than anything <laughs> like else in the movie. Yeah. It's wild. It's as like, well as the belches. It almost felt like yeah. Like, <laughs> Uh, it almost felt weirdly intentional to me. I know it wasn't, but it was. There was something really funny to me about this this like conversation where their footsteps were louder than the actual conversation. <laughs> There's something to yeah. There's a lot of that in this movie. We can get into like the diegetic sound mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. some of the music that plays. Um, oh, a uh, score by Leonard Cohen. So yeah. much as it is a score, there are like maybe three there or four are three original songs. Licensed songs. They're not original actually. Oh, they're not. Um, I believe they're from an earlier album that he did. Um, particularly. Uh, <clears throat> The first song, which is probably like the the one that I remember the best, which is called the Stranger Song, um, 
that was years old by 1971. I found a live performance from 1967 mm. online last night. Um, was was Robert Altman just a big fan of Leonard Cohen then? Uh, Don't shake your head, Cody. Say something. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm just confirming it. Yeah, I thought somebody else would jump in. Um, if IMDb Trivia serves me uh, correctly, which it always 100% does, <laughs> um, he heard the music somewhere. It could be it, it, like a party or, or something like that. Um, and he reached out to Leonard Cohen, who liked one of his earlier films. I can't remember what one that was. Um, and Altman was kind of um, a little bummed because upon the release of the movie, Leonard Cohen didn't like McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Really? Um, but then later Cohen saw it with like an audience, and he called Altman and was like, actually, I love this movie. Um, so, yeah, thankfully he was a fan of his work and allowed him to use his music. I wonder how watching this movie alone impacts your perception of it, uh, rather than just like Let's hearing your own create. Oh, hey, you did. Um, it didn't affect my, <laughs> my viewing. You didn't have a colon-like experience? Yeah, no. All those show-stopping moments, I was able to to still muster. I leapt up from my couch. Um, just kidding. This movie doesn't have any of that. <laughs> the ceiling. <laughs> I, I still like to have drywall on your shoulders. Uh, I do so think... Uh, oh, sorry. To go for it. But no. I was going to say, a 35mm print, like we saw, like, I feel like is the way to see this movie. And I probably say that about every movie. But this, the, the look <laughs> of this do. movie was just like so... Like over 2049. <laughs> yeah. The, the the historic look of this and just the way it was color the color was tinted it had this like oh, man, antique it, looking it had that mm-hmm. really good 1971 like, it was like color palette and like yeah. the look of it man particularly and it feels like a spoiler to say it but like during the end credits during that just psychedelia yeah. moment like man I love those the film just credits. oh and the font over on top yeah, of it that's yeah. like that's my shit to a mm, T yeah like, anyway yeah. um um Oh, I uh, I also love the colors. I loved how just the uh, outdoors were framed in general. Uh, Vilmos Zygmunt it was the cinematographer for this film, and it reminded me the how McCabe and Mrs. Miller just looked. Uh, reminded me a lot of the Deer Hunter. Um, the scenes were like Robert De Niro is out in the wilderness, and Zygmunt was the cinematographer for that movie as well. Nice, interesting. Um, I haven't seen that. Yeah, I haven't seen Deliverance, but he is also the cinematographer for Deliverance. Oh, so if anybody had movie. seen that, and uh, it's yeah. cool. But it definitely felt purposeful. Like yes. it was an approach to specifically like environment and how people interact with environment, mm-hmm. totally. Which is important in westerns. So yes. it, like it makes it's a great choice, probably that cinematographer. Um, yeah because it felt really impactful. Uh, I, I do want to talk about the aesthetic a little bit before we get into, like, story and plot. Um, Harry leaned over to me and said during the movie that it just made him want to play Red Dead Redemption 2 some more. And <laughs> I was it, thinking like, I went home and did that. Nice. Like, that's exactly <laughs> really? what, like, it's exactly what inspired me to do that movie. Like, just, like, the idea of a, what once was a verdant field in, like, late fall, early winter with just some sprinkles of snow and a lot of mud is just... Wow, that beautiful, beautiful like mise en scene to it. It's just yeah, it was crazy. Game. I haven't even played that game, but I was thinking about that game watching yeah. this movie just because <laughs> of all the ads. Well, especially like the the beginning sequence in in RDR two, where like they're up in the mountains mm-hmm. and like the this town felt like that area, right? I can't remember what the area was uh, called in the very fake first game ranch, um, yeah. but. Uh, <laughs> You know, with, like, the snow and, and the snow that's, like, threatening to, like, literally cover over the town and, mm-hmm. like, erase it. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, I mean, he the, uses the <clears throat> the entire landscape and environment. I mean, that's it's a prominent figure in this movie, and the characters are kind of just, you know, inhabiting it. And, um, well, and it really takes its time um, letting you watch them and observe them. It's not so much, okay, this person has this line and we got to show this close up. It's just, you know, we're just an outside observer, which Altman uses that um, – 
motif or that style a lot in his movies. Pretty much every movie that I've seen of his, which is is interesting. I'm sorry <coughs> to interrupt. Um, no, go for it. Because like usually westerns, I guess with the exception of like a fistful of dollars, um, which is an immediate counterexample that I thought of. But uh, they're usually concerned with like big spaces or like sweeping vistas or mm-hmm. like entire um, mountain states ranges. or right ranges. And this is like a set piece. Movie mm-hmm. like you don't really leave the town or even McCabe's uh, brothel and saloon much. Like it, it all takes place within this small town, right? Which I think they say at one point is like two hundred people or something, or mm-hmm. it's going to be two hundred. That sounds people. about mm-hmm. right because the, the town's still being established, right? Like it's still in the process of being built up around this mining community mm-hmm. as they go. Which, uh, just as a side note, I believe again in the making of this film they were like building the town as the mm-hmm. set as the movie was being shot which is just like what a crazy way yeah. to make a movie where you're building like the centerpiece of the movie as you're making the movie and it fits that's super realistically fits, that's really cool and the carpenters that were making it were just actual carpenters not actors you know, really so, yeah so you see in the background they were working. on screen just working yeah exactly nice. and I, I think a lot of the people there were just regular people and Robert Altman wanted them to come up with their own characters to play in the movie huh. and like this is who you are find your outfit find your desire for this character Shelley just... Duvall really did almost stab someone to death yeah <laughs> <laughs> she's fucking great I... I... so that didn't I... happen <laughs> I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, how and why because one of the big things that I read about when I was looking up this movie before and after seeing it, um, in what little I did, was that it is known as an anti-Western film, which I'm sure y'all have also heard, and I wanted to get your takes on what that means. Like, why, wh- what does it do with Western tropes that sort of subverts them or makes it an anti-Western? Don't all speak at once. I mean... Nobody speak. It's Nobody prob- get choked. I'm going to leave the room. Don't speak. I know what you're saying. I don't and need a reason. Don't tell me because it hurts. Right, this is the end. Wow. <laughs> we are this is the end of Trilove. 1,000% not. You can't, say, you can't just say don't speak and not expect <laughs> me to start that. Yeah. Oh uh, so anti-Western, what does that mean? Like, are we thinking anti-heroism, anti-competency, anti-myth uh, of the Wild West? Yeah, um... So classically, I have a lot of thoughts on this, so I kind of want to do it. But um, like, it's it's weird, right? Because I feel like anti-Western and revisionist Western and Western are genres that are used interchangeably quite often. Uh, I feel like every Western from the 1970s or 60s, including the spaghetti Westerns, are often branded as revisionist or anti-Westerns. Some of them are, some of them aren't, if you ask me. But like, that sort of goes to show like what that those genre terms are sort of nebulous. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, this is an anti-Western because it's actually like fundamentally interested in uh, critiquing like foundational myths about America and American ideology mm-hmm. and where that ideology led and what it built. Um, and I think that this movie actually does that, whereas a lot of Westerns end up sort of defaulting back uh, either through a lack of imagination or... or um, I don't know. Studio I, or notes. something, yeah, or uh, or just just a uh, um, an inability to commit to subversion or something. They end up falling back on the ideas of um, America, uh, mm-hmm. of sort of like rugged self reliance winning out. Um, I think some of the spaghetti westerns could be characterized that way. But bootstrap ideology. Yeah, that's like a, a hot take that I'm not qualified to make. Well, um, that's no, I completely agree. With, that was yeah. my point too. Is how it just 
like him starting off as the hero as this this person that we know in American westerns. It's a very you know stereotype that first scene where he walks in, he's playing poker or whatever, and they you know they you know this guy killed that Bill Roundtree guy, and you already know this character from so many westerns and how it just over the, over the course of two hours just completely strips away at that character and shows you how worthless and pathetic he is, which yeah. is completely anti western. The whole movie, which is two hours runtime, is like from that introductory scene on. It's just like a downward spiral for your opinion of his myth yeah it relies on that myth of like he's a shady character he doesn't really share his name what's that guy's name in the corner he's dealing poker and you know he has a legend that's established as a gunfighter he killed some other famous gunfighter which he probably didn't uh pudgy pudgy he certainly didn't right like the guy knows yeah um but and then over the course of the movie you just sort of see more and more like fallibility more and more humanity to Mm -hmm. him as a character and the way that he interacts, like the way, like imagine somebody like that trying to build an entire town pretty much on his own. Like he is building this saloon, but it's sort of the centerpiece, the heart of this whole town. Mm-hmm. So I, I I don't know that really. Yeah, the movie characterizes men in general as sort of like possessing uh, equal parts pride and incompetence, mm-hmm. um, and specifically McCabe very much like that. Uh, his pride is his downfall in this movie, um, but but his pride sort of stems from. It's like a performative pride, right? Like, it's not... He doesn't actually think that he is, uh, like, hot shit. He just knows that that's how men have to be, or or how, like, he's going to be eaten alive if he doesn't affect this performance. I was about to say, because, like, that's what people expect right. of his character. Of, yeah. the guy, of the guy with the, the, like, wide-brimmed hat, of the guy with the big furry coat. Like, he knows... Of a gunslinger. Ways. Yeah, he, he, it's almost as if his character knows is, like, knows the myth of the... Wild West, absolutely mm-hmm. contemporaneously, and it's like I'm just gonna ba- like piggyback on that as somebody who's like in order to win authority and uh, prestige mm-hmm. and the sort of mystery that he needs to become the successful businessman that he becomes. And then the second that he's actually called on it, the second that somebody like gets close to threatening him regarding his actions as a gunslinger, as like an actual Wild West lawman or outlaw. Like he just reneges the whole thing. He's like, "No, I, did, I didn't. I didn't kill him. Like somebody, somebody yeah. got killed, but that, that wasn't me. I've, yeah, I've never yeah. been known as as pudgy." Or I whatever. love that scene where he's trying to negotiate with him, and he's just so uncertain about what to negotiate. He's like, that was drop down to eight grand, seventy five hundred. Yeah, he's he, like he, mumbling. <laughs> they do the classic thing where he like, uh, um, he wheels and deals himself, right? Like the guy doesn't say anything, and he talks himself down to yeah. basically the same price that that he was initially offered. But right. We'll this is come back to that yeah. Guy. This is regarding like the corporation that's trying to push him out and buy the land out from underneath of him for is it the zinc underneath or the right. town? So yeah, we should probably talk about that, huh? That's pretty foundational. I, yeah. Uh, so partway through the film, I mean, after you see that the town's being built, um, he is visited. He and his brothel are visited by uh, by two men, reg- or uh, I forget what the corporation is a mining company of some kind and they offer to buy the land out from underneath of him buy out all of his assets for five thousand dollars or something and he balks at it in class he's drunk and he balks at it and tells them some story about a frog uh and he's like i really want to get into some of his aphorisms like i hope that was improv that frog joke (laughs) Uh, been amazing (laughs) but uh so then that sort of sets off the catalyst next to the characters of mccabe and mrs miller um being like the central focus of the movie, the, the plot is that he refuses their uh, offers, and uh, you know at least two of them, um, and then he's eventually left begging back for the offer again because he fears for his life. Right, yeah. and, and at first he's very confident that they're going to come back with a better offer. That's the sort of cornerstone of his argument: is that he he's. Um, what do you, Jesus, stonewalling them, I guess, or something. He's uh, trying to haggle. Right, but, but like, 
like really no sailing them oh, hard yeah. in order to to sort of sell the idea that like the, what they're offering is way too low, like ridiculously low. When in fact it's not, and he doesn't know how much he's worth or his stuff is worth. Right. Um, and completely sat or screwing over the woman too, or yeah. Mrs. Miller, <laughs> and like putting her in a really bad, uncomfortable place. Who in this moment is like the only one with sense because she's yeah. like, if you don't accept their off- their offer, they're just going to send a couple of men to come kill you. Right. And guess also, what happens? A far more competent businesswoman and a, a far more competent manager and person <laughs> yeah everything yeah. yeah uh cody do you have any yeah i mean like cert- gestating over there certainly mccabe's fatal flaw is wow <laughs> <laughs> certainly mccabe's fatal flaw is that he has so much pride and he's uh not willing to let i mean mrs miller on so many occasions demonstrates her worth to the point of reciting basic arithmetic mm-hmm. in his face um she does quick maths, and McCabe can't do quick maths. Yeah, like yeah. 19 plus 7. Because he's, like, <laughs> uh, he's a big dum-dum who should have let her have a more um, obviously conscious partnership with him and you know assist with the dealings. Uh, I did love that scene, that negotiation scene with uh, Butler. I would have liked to see have seen more from him. Yeah. Because he was certainly, like, a force. Yeah, but he represented something grand. Yeah, the corporate enforcer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He claims that he's in town to hunt bear, but is clearly there to enforce the corporation's will, right? Yeah, that was an amazing performance, that one scene. For sure. Yeah. I wasn't sure if he was, like, a, like, corporate, quote-unquote, or if he was just, like, honestly, like, a hired hand. Yeah, he's a a merc of some kind. Oh, yeah, Yeah. for sure. Right, but, but like, in the the same way that, yeah, he's, like, a a corporate hitman, basically. This Mm -hmm. is, like, a cyberpunk movie. (laughs) 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 McCabe and Mrs. Miller is a cyberpunk movie. That's Uh, the second big take Uh, I'm going to have to put in the building for. (laughs) Um, One thing, I wasn't sure when to drop this in, and I don't know if this will actually be, like, a wrench or not, but... In the in the novel McCabe, uh, it's made pretty obvious that he is a gunslinger. Um, like in the pa- like there are many. Um, we get the point of view of like we get into his brain. We see him like thinking about his gun, wielding his gun, cleaning his gun. He puts on shooting displays for the children of the town. Hmm. I don't know how that necessarily interferes with what Altman was trying to do um, slash the people who wrote the screenplay for this movie. Um, but I felt it worth bringing up no, that at yeah, least in the novel that. Like he had that, and I honestly, I I think you all seem pretty sure that he was not a gun. It seems that seems clear to me. Yeah, yeah. which is fair. I I wasn't sure I was gonna bring that up as For like sure. a point of discussion, but it yeah, I, I guess especially and the I, latter half of the movie, like it leads you to believe that like he has no experience in this yeah. at all. And I think all three answers to that question. Was he a gunslinger? Yes, no, or, like, who could say? Right. They're all interesting, right? Like, yeah. they all lead to interesting conclusions about what this movie is saying about McCabe. Um, yeah. And maybe uh, complementary ones, or, like, ones that, that we can still reconcile with my reading. Like, For I think sure. my reading survives any answer to that question. But wow. that's uh, Weird flex, but okay. You know. No, I think you're right. Like, if, like, because Butler had that proclamation at the end of that, again, great scene. Uh, where he says, like, well, that, that man never killed anybody. And he could either be calling a shot and just like, yeah, okay, McCabe was not a gunslinger, and that's gospel. Um, uh, or he could have misfired, and McCabe at this point has taken on such the role of, like, reformed man in the in the Old West that he's putting on a performance for everybody else to the point where, like, Butler wasn't necessarily wrong in, in calling that, but... Does that make any? I'm. I 
think that makes less sense now that I finished this sentence, but just like... <laughs> no, yeah, I, I agree with that. Well, okay. and, yeah. I, I, it's, it's interesting because it characterizes Butler too, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he kind of puts... In that one scene specifically with uh, Butler, he puts um, McCabe in his place where he's kind of ridiculing him in front of all his, uh, I don't know, associates or yeah. all the people that kind of looked up to him at the beginning. And yeah, the kind of getting like town. Yeah, exactly. Kind Including of getting, like, Sheehan, who I just wanted to punch in the face. Who's he was that? so annoying. Uh, the the bar. The guy, the guy with the hat? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. His first name may have been like Pat Patty. Patty. But that might have also been like a kind of derisive comment on his Irish heritage yeah <laughs> i don't True. know i couldn't i honestly didn't know if that was his name or if they were like calling him patty because he was an irish person That's we are recording really this on saint patrick's day yeah actually. happy, saint, oh, yeah. happy yeah. saint patty's day happy birthday Dad. where's my jameson oh <laughs> your dad is saint patrick uh, yeah and this is the episode will come out in july and it won't yeah, matter <laughs> <laughs> jokes on you and releasing it tomorrow <laughs> shit uh, Silence. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I guess to to go back to the anti-Western themes, um, something I really appreciated about this movie is that um, it starts its critique from a place of, of of a really incisive place, a really specific critique and commentary. I mean, like this is a movie that that like brings up antitrust laws and brings up corporate law mm-hmm. and corporate uh, protection. Um, and the the free market, and is like making a very pointed commentary on the actual possibility of a free market or of a sort of fair trade, fair enterprise in I, America. I agree. Where's what's your evidence for that? Like um, what points of the movie? Well, I mean, that? like the corporation is the bad guy, mm-hmm. and they're explicitly setting out to destroy a small businessman. There's that fantastic scene with uh, what is his name, Samuel Clement, the lawyer. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah. oh like, yeah, two letters off from. Uh, Samuel Clemens, the Mark Twain, Mark mm-hmm. Twain's real name, yeah. uh, which is a weird. We talked about this. It's like a weird piss take to take <laughs> the piss out of Mark Twain, but like go for it. That's yeah. like kind of rad, I guess. If, if, um, if nothing else in this movie, like it's a, it's like clearly the most satirical scene in the whole movie for sure. Uh, probably the funniest scene. There are a lot of really funny scenes. Um, yeah, yeah. But McCabe goes to a, a lawyer in town to uh, try to, like, plead his legal case for getting the corporation to, to step away from him. McCabe is doing this explicitly, as he says, because he doesn't want to die. He's like, oh, I just don't want them to shoot me to death, actually. And this Samuel Clements character has, like, all of these big sweeping notions about American justice and American corporate justice and, like, gives this rousing speech about how, like... Uh, the justice of America will not see the small businessman be stomped on by mm-hmm. these large corporations. Like we have antitrust laws for a reason. We have the rule of law and logic for a reason. And like you're going to be a hero, and your name's going to be in all of the papers, and people are going to look up to McCabe, the small businessman. He, ta- he talks about both of them talk about like the media play that they'll get out of their yeah. story as mm-hmm. like the leading force of like, right. pressure and he's, like, on the company. Weirdly, hilariously condescending to McCabe as a small <laughs> businessman. It's like he's putting on a show. Yeah, and and like he he offers to do it for free. Right, and that's also the last time we see this dude. Yeah, and first, like spoilers, yeah. like doesn't work out from a cave, <laughs> and so like all of that, like the idea of the protection of law mm-hmm. and and the um the sort of like recourse that small businessmen have is a joke in this movie. Like literally, it's a punchline. Yeah, um, and McCabe still gets shot to death at the end of the movie. Again, spoilers, but you know, you're listening to this. Yeah, I. Um, <laughs> Punk. <laughs> um, th- did you guys see any of the ending coming, or what? What were your expectations for McCabe? Like, where did you think he was going to go, and did you think he was going to ultimately fail, or it would fall back on 
yeah. familiar stereotypes. I, I think as soon as they sort of uh, – Edited in fake snowfall. I figured he's, he's yeah, gonna dude. die. Listen, you don't play the stranger song by Leonard Cohen at the start of a movie where the dude isn't dead by the end of the <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah, dead and freezing. Uh, yeah, I, I think that by the time that um, that he heads up to the chapel to the bell, uh, I, I think it's it's kind of spelled out from there, right? Like mm-hmm. the uh, the whole town's distracted by the fire. Eventually, what a great scene kind of that is. Yeah. That yeah, whole so good. ending climactic yeah like amazing it's, it's split up sort of um cuts between the people the people of the town trying to contain the fire which they miraculously do somehow and i really newly built was not a church. fan of that part but anyway that's well like just the fact that they keep splitting like cutting back i love and forth that because yeah. oh no i really like the fire i didn't like that they were able to put it out i mean maybe, <laughs> oh, was, maybe that means that something was, but like but they're all bizarre. celebrating and he's just alone out of the yeah. contrast i mm-hmm. love that the contrast is really good but yeah. like they they make it such a funny joke at that point where like they're they're throwing water and it's not even hitting the fire like their, <laughs> their inadequacy was so <laughs> evident it reminded me of the um that charlie Chaplin heart of darkness movie. scene uh there's a scene in heart of darkness where uh people are putting out a hut fire and uh the colonists are trying to like throw water on it and there's literally a hole in the bottom of the bucket and they're like going to grab <laughs> it's like not particularly subtle joseph conrad but like he's like picking up water from the the nearby stream and like as they try to carry it over it's all falling out of the bucket. and like that's what this reminded me of it was that ineffective yeah so like the the fact that they put out the fire was miraculous right like how did they do that but um i one thing about this scene that i really liked was that um uh, I guess touching back on the idea of this being an anti-Western, the the gunfight was not like a town spectacle. Mm-hmm. Instead, it yeah. was this other catastrophe that is being comedically played out just through intercuts. Right. Um, I don't. I don't know if we set this up. This is a scene in which McCabe is being stalked through the town by the three company men, by three of the company men, I guess, including Butler. Yeah. Um, and he's sort of dodging between buildings to uh, sort of pick them off one by one. And, and he's seen. He's uh, McCabe is just so sneaky and just hiding the whole time, which is fits into his character mm-hmm. a lot. I think he's just this sneaky. Um, he's a rat bastard. Coward. <laughs> he's a coward. Yeah. And I thought you were talking about the other gunfight with uh, um, what is yeah Keith Carradine's character. Oh yeah, and with that obnoxious kid. Yeah. Oh God. No, I was the not. worst. Oh, the one on the bridge. Yeah. Oh, that, okay. that where, kid. Where do we want to focus? Bridge one. I'm sorry. One. Yeah. Um, I would like to talk about both at some Me point. Me too. Um, uh, that, the kid one. one, real quick, that's yeah, like yeah. one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I think it's like a microcosm metaphor for the entire movie, basically. So there's an innocent, more or less innocent uh, drifter who comes into town, spends a night or two at the brothel. Right. He's very, very innocent and childlike. So they literally kiss nice. him goodbye and tell yeah, him to be safe Yeah, tell him to be a stuff. good boy. At yeah. one point, they he, literally say... He's on his way to go get socks. To buy socks. To buy new socks, because yep. his socks <laughs> are worn out. Just the most innocent like me Johnny Apple Pie little boy. And he's about to cross the bridge to the because there's a this whole town is I guess like set on a it's lake on like or a rope pond. bridges yeah yeah um, <clears throat> and they don't have proper infrastructure yet I guess yeah so there's this rope bridge uh, he's standing at one end and one of the company men is, it's a little boy he's like a younger kid he's blonde he's just a shit heel like, yeah he really kid's he the worst he's a uh, punk teenager earlier in the like the McCabe Butler discussion he like is standing up against the wall like a, like a like a tough like Butler's number one fan yeah and he's like hey are you calling his best friend a liar yeah like, yeah that exact character is like yeah. the toady what's the yeah. the um 
the bully in A Christmas Story? Roverdill. Oh, yeah, that is <laughs> yeah, that right. guy. Roverdill's the toady. The toady. Yeah. The, who's the, the large one? Scud Farkas. Scud Farkas. <laughs> he had yellow eyes. So uh, help me God, yellow eyes <laughs> and green teeth. Um, I got to revisit that. But anyway, uh, so this little shit heel kid stops uh, Keith Carradine's character, who's only known as the cowboy, yep. uh, which is also... Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. wow. Um, and basically bullies him really bad. He's like... Oh, like, why are you coming this way? And then he's, he says, oh, my socks are worn out. And he says, take off your boots and show me your socks if they're so worn out. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. And then he's like, why are you wearing that gun then? Like, l- obviously trying to draw him out. And finally, he says, like, uh, Keith Carradine's character is trying really hard to defuse it uh, in his, like, sort of charming, hapless way. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of hapless men in this movie. Yeah. Um, and uh, the kid is like... Uh, oh, well, you should be able to hit something because Keith Carradine says, like, I can't hit anything with it. And he goes, show me your gun. And then when Keith Carradine reaches for his gun, uh, the kid uses that as an excuse to gun him down. He shoots him twice. Uh, Keith Carradine falls into the water and is dead it, instantly. It plays that moment out for a long time, yeah. too, in slow motion. So. It's heartbreaking, right? Yeah. Like yeah. It's, yeah. Um, and, like, to me, that was sort of, like, a signpost metaphor for the entire movie. It was like all of the idea of fairness because like the quick draw in Westerns is the ultimate idea of fairness, right? It's just you and the other guy and whoever's faster is faster. And it's like, this is what a quick draw actually is. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, interesting. You, you set it up to kill the other guy and it doesn't particularly matter if it's fair. It's murder in the street. Yeah. 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 And, and all of this, all of the idea of fairness and justice and sort of frontier, uh, law is just an excuse to get the other guy to reach so yep. you can gun him down. <laughs> and I don't, maybe going back to what you were talking about, about the final scene, I don't remember there being a whole lot of hubbub about his death in this movie, at least from the townsfolk. Like, he's shown dead, he's shown floating and slightly sinking into this icy water. This is midwinter. Uh, and then, like, just sort of exeunt his character. Like, that's, it's more or less fanfareless. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the least, like, celebrated deaths in the movie. Yeah. Uh, we don't get to see how people react to McCabe's death, but you True. can see it similarly. Um, mm-hmm. Another guy dies earlier on. Um, oh, uh, Bart Bartlett? Bart, yeah. Coyle? Is, is that his full name? Never mind. Yeah, he died. Probably. Who's that? I can't remember. Shelley Duvall's husband? Yeah. What's the guy who's like, he yeah, at the beginning of the movie, when the steam uh, oh, yeah. train is yeah. coming by, he pulls her off the, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Was a, she was a mail order bride like or something? Him? Wasn't, isn't that right? Was the same? Or no, that was a different guy. That was a different character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that was, yeah. Wrong that was about the guy was, was That was a different uh, prostitute. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, that's another thing about this movie is that um, I, probably not unqualified. We, we don't have to talk about it if y'all don't think sure. we're qualified to, but like almost all of the main character women in this movie are in some form of. Uh, They're sex workers. Sex workers, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's never really portrayed as a negative thing. I think it, that like the men don't treat them particularly well, but. Yeah. But they're not, like, you know, beating them in the street or anything. It's not, like, overt violence toward women who I mean, work in sex. I mean, specifically, or Mrs. Miller's whole ideology revolves around how kindness, broadly construed towards her sex workers and towards the clientele, and sort of, like, dignity of human life is, like, what's best, both morally and from a business point of view. Mm-hmm. And, like, she pitches it from the business point of view. Like, I think that that's how I would characterize her uh, relationship with McCabe is, like, she says at one point you have to make money to 
are you have to spend money to make money mm -hmm. and she's all about like buying nicer linens and like nicer living quarters and like treating the the women better they, she, they, like, they, she bakes her she bakes one of the McCabe on her birthday kind of stuff there was and one she's angry with McCabe that he didn't come to her birthday party yeah very like human character probably right. the most human character of this movie in a movie about like deconstructing those western myths of like different gendered work and stuff uh, there was one specific scene in which um Mrs. McCabe as uh, the runner of the brothel and sort of the keeper of the of the shop, um, she sets prices for different women uh, so that women come, men come in, they want to know how much it costs to have sex with them, this is how much. And she sets a very high price for herself, $5, which is, I don't even know, adjusting for inflation, but a lot of money. Yeah. Right I think back then, or uh, like equating that to nowadays, it would be the equivalent of like $20 million. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That sounds right. She's yeah. got a pretty high price tag. Uh, and so she kind of says it to him because there's a man who comes in and asks how much for Mrs. Miller. And she says $5 and just sort of like ignores him thinking like, oh, he's not, he, that's like my prohibitive price. And then he's like, okay, I'll do that. And she expresses some like surprise, a little bit of shock. And she's like, well, okay, then that's business. I set my price. Yeah, yeah. Here's what we're doing. Like there's a certain, like you said, honesty and like truth to that, I guess. I mean, I don't know how much we're adjusting for the fact that she's uh, like being subjected to sex work but it's like her own line of work it's, it's her choice yeah. yeah um yeah i mean obviously that's a complicated conversation that we're not qualified right. to have but like sex worker positivity you know like there, there's it, nothing there wrong is that with being in this movie yeah right i i think it's one of the most positive portrayals of sex work i've ever seen in a movie which is a wild thing to say right yeah. but like because like it's super imperfect but like just the idea that like it is uh like always voluntary and like they have protection and they have an advocate and it's female led is is it's it may be a low bar but like that was something that was sort of um well and, and it's explicit right like an important part of mrs miller is that she was a sex worker is a sex worker and is advocating for sex workers like that's her whole thing mm -hmm. is advocating for the powerless right uh, one of her introductory scenes is that she's sort of like takes because of what McCabe does to bring in more people to the town and sort of get his business going is he hires a few women from a nearby shop, from a nearby, is it a nearby saloon, nearby town? Yeah, it's another brothel. Uh, he essentially buys them from out from under the, their current, I guess, boss. Not great. But buys them uh, and enlists them to his own brothel um, and sort of, sort of set, sets them up in tents. Uh, yeah. Sort of not great working or living quarters. Well, the, to be fair, they were building the saloon, but yeah, it's still supposed. They, I think that metaphor still operates, yeah. right? Like he literally has their names over the tents. Yeah, it's uh, it's, and and they're like shitty, exploitive, like working names mm -hmm. that like I think they exotify the the Chinese sex worker. Uh, yeah, de and, they definitely do. Yeah, uh, there's but, a little yeah, bit. Was, Oh, sorry. I was, I was going to say, but it portrays it. In, or I guess just on an aesthetic level, it portray it doesn't prettify anything. It just like this is how it is, and it was, everything's just so dirty. And that that extends to every element in the whole film, not just the sex workers, but everything's like it's just like it's not a it's 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 not a fun movie. Um, it's, it's not a, like a beautiful looking movie in a way, but the 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 dirtiness and like just the candid look of that um, makes it really beautiful in a way mm -hmm. that the fact that it's so honest and raw, right. which and I love. But eventually it gets to a point where uh, when Mrs. Miller is brought in, she is, she basically reforms everything. She kind of like makes everything better, which in a way is sort of like the woman doing the work for him 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, bit. like, yeah, that's that's the other interesting element of her personality, right, is that she's such a pragmatist. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, she, in direct contrast to McCabe, uh, which is like, this is definitely an idealist versus pragmatist relationship. Um, but but she's working within the, the framework and confines of the power that she has. Um, you know, like, you you get the impression that, like, if things could be different for Mrs. Milder, they would be. And she's doing the best with what she has to, mm-hmm. to make the best world for herself and for everybody else, yeah. including McCabe, whether or not he deserves that. Um, but but you get the you get the impression that like she's a really humanist character to me. The idea that especially with her drug use, but we can uh, get into that. That is another aspect of her yeah, character I wanted um, to talk about. But um, just this idea that like she is using whatever she has uh, and the very limited means that she has, unfortunately, unfortunately, to make things better for as many people as she can, uh, particularly the people she empathizes with, the mm-hmm. powerless, um, which comes to include McCabe in an interesting way um, when she advocates for him and becomes his business partner. Um, but, you, you, like, she contacts McCabe. She comes out of nowhere and is like, I'm going to run your brothel for you. And uh, you wonder, like, how she got a line on McCabe or how she knew or, like, why she came here to mm-hmm. McCabe specifically. Um, to me, it felt like there were other McCabes before McCabe. Um, which She's is used to dealing with stupid... Like yeah. cowardly men, yeah. Or like, like this was a plan she had. Like this was definitely mm. something she chose, right? Like mm-hmm. this was this was like an idea that right. had been hatching, right? For sure. And I think that just the possibility of there being other McCabe's lends this to like, if you pivot a few specific like key things, this could easily be Mrs. Miller's movie instead of McCabe's movie. It should be. It absolutely should be. Um, yeah. Just I like I think she's terribly underutilized, especially in the second half of the movie. But even so. The lone Academy Award nomination this movie got was for Julie Christie for yeah. Best Actress. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, I learned he didn't get anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I know of. No, I, I totally see this as, like, another installment in the Mrs. Miller saga where, okay, McCabe oh, man. be, or, you know. How great would that be to have, like, five Mrs. Miller movies, like, 400 <laughs> blows? That would, like, that I, I want to awesome. see this woman's whole life. That would yeah. be so cool. Uh yeah, I I don't know. I I think that that might be my major criticism. And again, it's like it's weirdly not a criticism, but like Mrs. Miller is such a um like she functions as such a plot metaphor more than she functions as a protagonist. Mm-hmm. Like it's called McCabe and Mrs. Miller, but it's McCabe's movie, uh, and yeah. Mrs. Miller is like not ancillary but secondary to his journey, mm-hmm. uh, which is really frustrating to me. There there is a, an aspect of that I think that doesn't help, which is that in the second act, between the second and third act, there seems to be a something of a time jump in which we have like not seen many aspects of their budding relationship. Mm-hmm. They go from like Ms. McCabe uh, pays her for sex uh, in one scene, and then just a few scenes later, he is seen just like crying into her arms, just weeping as he realizes like the reality of what he's done by <laughs> by that damning he's screwed by and he screwed everybody else over and, too. Yeah, by probably his entire town by turning down this offer that they made. Uh, and you know, not it's not made explicit that like he's no longer paying her for sex, so that it's no longer a working relationship. He does like, pay her for sex earlier in the movie, right? Exactly. But later on, I just I I didn't notice it was maybe it was a tiny plot uh, point. I don't I didn't think it's notice. shown uh, the second time. Right. I, it's also not shown that they sleep together that second time. He could just be looking for comfort. True. Not so that. He puts the five dollars in the little case. Yeah, that's that was, yeah. That yeah, was yeah, that's earlier. Yeah. Yeah. But like, my point is that there's seems to be something there 
I don't know if there were any like major plot points that were not shown or if it's like intentionally omitted, but just something that seems to be like the development of their relationship between points A, B, and C that we don't really see. And I think that's part of why Mrs. Miller feels underdeveloped. Somewhat, yeah, I totally Because agree. like we see his journey from like this self-mythologizing asshole to a cowardly dying asshole, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, leaps and bounds there. My right. same journey. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted more chemistry between them in that second half. And that is exactly. that is my only criticism of this movie probably. Um, that whole shootout scene takes so much time. It's so brilliantly shot. Um, it's one, I'm wondering if, like, we needed to sacrifice that for, like, some Mrs. Miller time. Yeah, but. there's also such a great metaphor in that last shootout with the yeah. church. When he mm-hmm. goes into the church and he puts his shotgun down so he can uh, climb to the top of the church and look around and find where the uh, <clears throat> gunmen are in town. And then when he's coming down to get his shotgun back, the, like, preacher, it's a Presbyterian church. I don't know what the right term for that I is. I didn't know if reverend or... Reverend, maybe? I, I have no I idea. Don't know. Yeah. But he's got him held at gunpoint with his own shotgun and he says hey that's my shotgun and the guy's like this is a, a house of god get out yeah. yeah and it's like this place that's like a shelter or should be a shelter for him is now rejecting him and, and forcing him back out into the cold and then that uh reverend or uh um this adam driver like yeah yeah uh he's shot and uh he's holding the lantern and the lantern falls out of his hand and burns the church down. He, he's actually his arms blown yeah. off. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. It's the most graphic part of the movie yeah. easily. Yeah, um, it's really real. I was wondering if I could jump off that a little bit. Um so I was thinking about that too just like why is the church here? And that was like yeah. maybe the third time we had seen this um this holy person uh and I was thinking like what the like why have that in there at all? Um there is a moment um very early in the movie, Sheehan asks uh, McCabe, or I mean, he just kind of just like, oh, you're a Catholic man, right? And McCabe says no. Um, so just like that, coupled with the fact that McCabe is like a developer of business of like relatively sinful activity, it, I think it can be safely assumed that McCabe's presence in this area, this town, is creating either an absence of religion or just reducing the presence mm-hmm. of religion, period. Um and the I think it's like the O'Shaughnessy Mining Company or right or, I think that's correct. I think well, I, how I kind of paired that with the church is just like okay, this O'Shaughn- O'Shaughnessy enterprise is essentially Satan. Um, they are they go r- r- like Sheen's a great example. They go out. Um, they try to uh, bargain and purchase the souls of these people. Mm-hmm. Sheen sells his. McCabe does not, and so when the monetary transaction fails you know they try to steal his soul um and uh i i guess you know as this town falls into this uh developing business of you know more more people are visiting sex workers more people are gambling more people are drinking it takes the um like the literal burning down of this church for everybody else not necessarily mccabe because he's you know in a fight for his soul to not be stolen um everybody else is you know working to resolve that put out the fire in their souls um and eventually they put it out that's fascinating wow Uh, i didn't interpret it that way but like that there's a rich tradition of uh judeo-christian like and especially the devil in uh westerns Mm -hmm. like uh there's high plains drifter the clint eastwood movie that's a good movie uh blood meridian with cormac mccarthy Mm -hmm. um with cormac mccarthy who wrote (laughs) it starring his only oscar nomination yeah it's weird uh cosmopolis got nothing (laughs) or like this even the stranger which the stranger song from uh Mm -hmm. mark twain or uh owl creek bridge 
incident at Owl Creek Bridge. I'm that just kind of like flexing uh, now, like an <laughs> asshole. There you go, like Western uh, learning movies. Uh, just like a, a, an internal battle between good and evil type, where the protagonist uh, rides that line. A devil who is fundamentally interested in corrupting souls to destroy them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't pick up on that relationship, but that's really cool. I don't know how fleshed out it is. Um, like an encouraging detail is the character of Butler is essentially like a servant of Satan. Yeah, like no, definitely. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. this is an interesting read, particularly because like it's fitting in less with an anti-Western idea and more of like a postmodern Western type idea. Mm. Like right. your read doesn't say to me anti-Western because it's still borrowing a lot of those themes and a lot right. of those uh, you know general concepts. Yeah. This is this is not something I would have thought of. Yeah, and that's something I was wrestling with too. Not to go too much back to like whether this is like an anti-Western or not. Um, just because there were so many like more cosmetic things that I took as like I don't know if neo-Westernism is necessarily a thing, but just like kind of like Fargo being a neo-noir and just like inverting some traditional components of what noir is. Like as we talked about the rich colors with McCabe and Mrs. Miller, like you don't necessarily get the clear dichotomy between warm colors and dark colors, or not dark colors, cool colors, like warm versus cool, mm-hmm. whereas, um, you know, this setting has that. The climate is cold and rainy and wet as opposed to, like, dry and sunny. Um, at its core, I think it's very clearly anti-Western, but... And, and anti-Western is, um, at least in in that that sort of buzzword, is sort of a misnomer, right? Because For like, sure. And you, already, and you already mentioned that, admittedly. Yeah. Yeah. And anti-Westerns and, like, uh, revisionist Westerns, they're all fundamentally within the Western genre, and mm-hmm. they're all doing the same thing that, that the Western genre does. Right. Um, yeah, Westerns are really fascinating because of how restrictive they are. Like, when you make a Western, you're so much making a Western. Like, Definitely. Yeah, it's like these certain elements that yeah, have to be there. Yeah, and all Westerns are, like, about Westerns. Like, when, yeah. Uh, and, and, like, obviously, um, ultimately about critiquing or uh, examining... American myths, in in my opinion, but like, I think a lot of like revisionist and anti westerns are like fundamentally about what westerns are specifically. Mm-hmm. Like Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven is just a movie about other westerns and like yes, taking the piss out of other westerns, <laughs> which is great. Uh, Buster Scruggs uh, last year <laughs> wow. is like Hell extremely yeah. just about yeah. western stories yeah. <laughs> specifically. Um, That's kind of what westerns have become too. I've noticed yeah. it's been a trend in the last I don't know five years or something. But I've seen that it seems that every western that comes out that at least is interesting. There's some westerns that come out like Hostiles, or which I didn't yeah. see that are very American and traditional probably. But there's it seems like a, the majority of them are just kind of inverting them a little bit and kind of playing with the genre and and, and making commentary about the genre rather than just being a straight genre piece. Which is well, what postmodernism gets at. Like right. you were saying is 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 uh, preserving the original genre but examining it in a new way to sort of suggest that what was once this one thing was actually always this other thing, right? right? I'm thinking uh, No Country for Old Men, Hell or High Water. Yeah. It's like as as boomers are dying, it's getting <laughs> a lot more tolerable <laughs> to watch westerns. Nice. Yeah, and I I love to be honest. I love straightforward western movies like John Ford movies, Stagecoach, and stuff like that. I love Even Stagecoach. Like, yeah, obviously what Tarantino does like stylistically, I really like. But, um, but yeah, it, it has to be done in a way that's um, I think where you're kind of celebrating the genre and not trying to dive straight into the themes that were very stereotypical back in the '50s because those obviously just don't work anymore. Um, I mean, when I look at what Tarantino does, and sorry to bring Tarantino up again, which yeah. I feel like I do, but like he he kind of celebrates the the aspects, the stylistic aspects of the genre, which I'm all for. Um, but I think he kind of story wise uh, does his own thing and and, and um, 
and provides commentary on topical issues. So, you know. Um, this is a, a modernist tradition, not a postmodernist tradition, but it kind of reminds me of uh, T.S. Eliot's tradition in The Individual's Talent, um, which is the, that uh, literary theory that introducing a new work to a tradition um, does not only alter that work or, like, does not only contextualize that work, it recontextualizes all preceding works. Hmm. Um, okay. That was... T.S. Eliot's idea. Um, it's you can be critical of it, uh, it but was, it's got some legs here. Yeah, like, think about westerns that came before this, and like how you think of them through the lens of McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Right. I mean, a movie like McCabe and Mrs. Miller or Buster Scruggs or Unforgiven, they're not just interested in using westerns for their, themselves. They're also interested in getting us to recontextualize what me- westerns mean broadly. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I think that the idea of a movie like Buster Scruggs is to get you to think about the movies you've seen differently. Totally, yeah. Um, and I think this movie does some of the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, in a really pointed, specific way. Well, this movie is about how American institutions that are supposed to give meaning and justice to the world are, in fact, actually set up to be unjust mm-hmm. and to destroy uh, or uh, um, exploit exploit is probably better than yeah it's probably like i don't know if it's the first but it seems like it would be the like the first feminist western at the at its heart i mean it is you know like his his uh and uh mccabe's incompetence is like what makes you know her suffer which i think is an interesting analysis which i I mean obviously every single western up until this point at least that i know of I, i could be completely wrong but you know celebrates heroic men and women are always a side character where it's you know completely opposite here it's about his his um, negligence that just um, shows, you know, that that it doesn't. She's a strong character, and it's his negligence that makes everyone else suffer. So yeah, in in the Stranger song, Len- Leonard Cohen sings, but now another stranger seems to want you to ignore his dreams as though they were the burden of another, which is like oh, man. holy shit. Uh, wow. In general, you should look up the lyrics to the Stranger song. It's like a fucking masterpiece of songwriting. It's like an unbelievable song. Um, there's a, a live performance on the Julie Felix show from 1967. I'm going to just read out the entire URL yep. right it's now. It's on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> it was uploaded by Absent Referent, which is a hilarious name for okay. a person <laughs> uploading uh, Leonard Cohen songs. Um, <laughs> look it up. It was, uh, I watched it very early this morning, um, <laughs> and I was not prepared for how raw it is. Uh, he is crying by the end of the performance uh, very Cohen softly. Yeah, Ooh. it's intense. Uh, right. I highly recommend it. Anyway, um, I, I'm i really into that church reading. Uh, to me, it was another metaphorical example of like institutions failing or institutions that are ostensibly about one thing actually being about something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About, you know, something to protect and shepherd people actually being about excluding or right. uh, rejecting people. Yeah, and I think it um, is somewhat telling that like this holy man, he takes McCabe's gun and I don't know if it's like he takes on like the sins of McCabe and like therefore he is shot for it or if he just gets mistake like literally mistaken for McCabe I think probably Butler would have just killed anybody anyway that but he saw. But guns are important in this movie. Guns are right? important in and this so, movie. And so, like, it's meaningful that he took up that gun. Yeah, And is, for like, sure. pointing it at McCabe and sort of using the, the visual vocabulary of the the evil forces in this movie yeah. to do the same thing Definitely. to sort of bully um yeah yeah <laughs> well uh to, to speak to to john's point about it being a feminist 
uh, Western. Um, obviously, we're all dudes, so we're not super qualified to talk about that. Yeah, um, go buy some street salt. I was very moved by Mrs. Miller um, as a, a disempowered character who is nonetheless attempting to build a better world. Mm-hmm. And this is this is a movie about trying to build better worlds and why why it doesn't work out. Or like, it seems to suggest that that um, America is is fundamentally uh, populated by maybe people who are believing in something that is set up to exploit their belief in it you know mccabe believes in the idea that a man can go west literally and make his fortune out of his ingenuity and his skill um mrs miller believes fundamentally that if you treat people right uh it will work out best for everyone uh sex workers can be humanized and live their lives with dignity mm-hmm. and she can rise within the the sort of ranks of business through her ingenuity and that's never played uh, sorry to cut in but um, that's never played for naivete in her character like it's no it's she's a very yeah she's, she's a very uh pragmatic and sort of mm-hmm. understood or understood understanding character mm-hmm. like she knows the score uh really more than any of the men in the movie yeah you can continue with what. Well, no, please. Oh, I was. Um, I think a type of arc that would have been not verbatim necessarily, um, but like to have seen Mrs. Miller go through. I think her name is Lil. She's one of like the first uh, um, sex workers who is. I'm using air quotes purchased, but air quotes not needed because that is what happens, um, yeah. and it's uncomfortable. Yeah, but, it sucks. Um, she she actually like gets out of that. She I mean she gets ousted from sex work because they bring others in to take up those roles and she becomes a chef uh which is like like that it was a very my it wasn't even a a plot point really um it was just like a background detail but it felt really significant and hopeful and it is right because like that's that's mrs miller's whole thing right yeah um, there's also a really great scene with uh shelly duvall's character where after her husband dies she expresses uh trepidation on getting into sex work even though she she thinks that there's no other way for her to support herself Mm -hmm. which is probably true it's like this town i don't want to judge that that's a weird way to frame that Mm -hmm. um sorry uh but mrs miller has this conversation with her where it's like well like you were doing the same thing with your husband but now you're going to get paid for it uh and i really liked that (laughs) that framing of uh sex work that was really interesting now that I think about it, I think there were a few um, women in this town, at least one who was, like, a bartender or, like, a greeter at a bar. Um, but, no, I think ultimately the rest of them are just, they find the path of sex work. I mean, yeah, there, there aren't really opportunities right. here. For sure. What, uh, what are some Westerns that, oh, first of all, what are some of your favorite Westerns and, like, how would you compare it to something like this that's, you know, obviously so different in the genre? I'll, I'll go first because I probably have the least number of references. Like, I... I'm, it took me a long time to r- figure out that Yojimbo was the um, yeah like, like when I think of westerns now I think of Yojimbo oh, that's so interesting that probably the like best western idiot. I always forget about western, that being <laughs> yeah uh, so I I mean I, I'm familiar with the tropes I'm familiar with the aesthetics uh, but I can't like say I've seen like Harry was whamming his gigantic western <laughs> western penis oh, all over the table oh, when he was screaming about all these different <laughs> <laughs> Say that again. How I would That's the name of this episode now. About all oh these uh, other Western movies that he's uh, seen. Most of those were books. 
books <laughs> that he's yeah. well, still, you read books instead of watching them uh, <laughs> is that why these books stay on my shelf is because I'm just looking at the spines for months the and months book, waiting guys. to absorb their information uh, no but it, it may be exemplified by the fact that I just called several books movies I don't know many westerns <laughs> yeah um I really like there. Uh, not that High Noon is like a perfect oh. movie by any means. Um, I really like High Noon. Um, the age difference between is it Gary Cooper? I, I can't remember. I can't remember. That's Clint Eastwood, right? No, no. no it's oh. uh, and it's not John Wayne. I'm, I'm gonna go with Gary Cooper. Comes. Sorry if I'm wrong. Um, I don't watch a lot of westerns either. I really liked uh, that one. The age difference between <laughs> Gary Cooper and please tell me it's Gary Cooper. It's Gary Cooper. Fuck. Yeah. Gary Cooper, um, Grace Kelly, in one of her first film roles, uh, if I remember correctly, she's his romantic partner. Um, right. And she is very much sidelined for uh, the spoilers for High Noon, just for the record. Um, hey. She's. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen it. All right, just go ahead. Um, it's I, And it does abide by a lot of the traditional like narrative beats of the western yeah um so there's not a lot that's surprising um it plays out in real time it's a relatively taut movie um grace kelly and gary cooper get married grace kelly is um for all intents and purposes portrayed as she's the nagging wife who's trying to get gary cooper to leave he is you know it's his last day on the force um the force that's you know old, old west. he's the sheriff um and there's uh, a band of criminals coming back into town that he just he has a sense of honor and duty that he needs to just wipe them out once and for all and ensure the safety of these people he his his duty will be wiped <laughs> there you go please I continue i hate everything <laughs> how do we so get polite. here <laughs> oh my god you have to get in I can't bear this any longer. You just um, interrupted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, by the end, um, you know, Gary Cooper waits for these people to come to town, and Grace Kelly's character takes a more active role. Um, she does uh, end the life of one of them, so it, it like it takes a lot out of her. Like it's very taxing for her mm-hmm. to just like join in, like support her husband in this, which has they, its own message. For they sure. both lose their faith. She literally yes. loses her faith uh, in terms of being a, a pacifist. For I believe she's a Quaker. She is. Yes, um, great. Yes, and great. She point. she ends up killing the the main bad guy. Yeah. Um, and he loses his faith in the sort of. American institution of justice, which was his religion. Yeah. Uh, there's a great scene echoed in uh, Dirty Harry at the end of High Noon where he throws his sheriff badge into the desert sands. As they, yeah, it's really <laughs> wow. great. Uh, yeah. High Noon is a fantastic movie. Yeah, it's yeah, a great choice. Nice. I, yeah. It came well before McCabe and Mrs. Miller. It was 1952. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you see from there that popped up here? Um, I mean, the, the fact that um, and this is like basic introductory Femi- I'm using air quotes this time, feminism. Um, but, like, Grace Kelly, um, the female lead taking... And not that she was the only female character. There was a very rich ensemble in this movie where everybody gets kind of their fair share of screen time and development and the discussions of, like, why morally will you or won't you take part in, like, upholding this justice and, like, standing by your sheriff. And she is really the the one of the few people to actually you know she stands by her husband she stand by your man uh she <laughs> say you stand no not again stop <laughs> it's a good song welcome back to the trial of open mic um uh yeah she i mean she she throws down you know the things that she believes in that are very um crucial to her her being um and transforms undergoes a pretty significant arc 
and then together she and her husband just you know they walk out um, sure so uh, I mean again very basic she it's a woman in a western who undergoes some sort of transformation and it's significant and good interesting I gotta check that out um to answer John's question uh I this is maybe problematic I guess like I I love westerns I grew up watching a lot of westerns um I, I've always been interested in, in how they critique uh, the American mythology, but, like, I was not always uh, as, quote-unquote, woke as I am. Like, that was always my my interest in Westerns, mm-hmm. but I was, I was not great at analyzing them for a long time, obviously. Um, I feel like I'm little baby Harry when it comes to Westerns then, because, like, I can see those. I can, be, I can see those themes. I can, like, watch a movie and re- watch a Western and recognize what's going on for the most part, but, like, I don't have the vocabulary for it. So, Mrs. Sure. Mrs. Game of Mr. Miller is a fun movie to watch from that lens. Yeah, there's so many great. people in our generation that hate Westerns because they just think of it as everything is that John Wayne movie from the 1950s, but there's so much diverse work out there in the genre that I don't yeah. think anyone yeah. actually... Yeah, uh, and a, a lot of the genre work comes up short, right? Like, there are shortcomings in this yeah. movie. Um, the, this movie does something that... that a lot of movies, particularly uh, contemporary or, or modern movies, I mean that in both senses, um, do where they they use quote unquote like heavier quotes here period authentic racism with a really heavy brush, um, but they try to make it a metaphor in order to make it acceptable. Um, and the motivations there are really suspect to me. Uh, like I always end up wondering like. Okay, was this metaphor so important to you that racism was an inescapable part of the movie and mm-hmm. you would lose something? Or did you want to depict racism and have an excuse? And it like it works on a <laughs> case Quentin by case. Tarantino. Yes, I'm adding Quentin Tarantino. But <laughs> yeah. also like this movie does that uh, quite a bit. There's a lot of anti Chinese racism mm-hmm. in this movie. Um, both from the protagonists and from the antagonists. And it operates, right? I think as a metaphor, or I, like I'm speaking for the director, but like I can see 19 year old Harry like having that argument, being like, "No, the racism is important because it says this." Yeah, you know, like uh, the the Chinese um, rail workers are are disempowered in the same way that the sex workers are, and like the opium is the central metaphor uniting disempowered people, and like Mrs. Miller, who's also an opium addict, and but like also like it sucks to have to listen to anti-Chinese racism and I wonder if it was that important to you that you had to include it and I feel that way about a lot of westerns Mm -hmm. where it's like you or like Game of Thrones that takes such like great enjoyment in hurting women and they always have an excuse right like there's always a fallback like this is what we're doing we're depicting this and it's like are you or do you just really really want to you've hit a saturation point of that yeah Um, anyway that was a lot of talking uh i love the good the bad and the ugly uh the outlaw josie wales is a, a good movie mm-hmm. i haven't seen in a long yeah, time um, great. good bad the ugly is my favorite of all time yeah. for westerns jeremiah definitely. mountain man um, oh, oh is I, a really oh hell yeah fascinating movie. we, we watched that Johnson. Saw it together uh, i actually jeremiah have seen Johnson. that one i love yeah, that movie um it's uh it's really it's it's wild uh and interesting and it uses racism as a metaphor um in the way i was just discussing um Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy uh, is a really good book. Mm-hmm. Uh, really terrible, horrible thing to read, uh, but it's brutal, dude. Yeah, um, but I've read a, yeah. a little McCarthy. Um, uh, Blood Meridian. When was that? What year? Oh, or what era? I guess uh, the, it's a like the nineteen seventies. I oh, think okay. it's one of McCarthy's earliest books. The, oh, the, the he wrote nineteen eighty five. Eighty five. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
I recommend that, I guess, if you're interested in really, really brutal deconstructive yeah. westerns. Um, yeah, there's no there's no love for the American myth in that book whatsoever. Hell yeah. Um, which is interesting. Uh, we have eclipsed the one-hour mark. Oh, shit. Uh, no, that's not a problem. Um, but I just want to get... There is one feature here that we haven't really spoken about, and it's the humor of this movie. Mm-hmm. We've kind of gotten pretty dour with it so far, uh, but I, I should highlight that this is a pretty funny movie. Oh, yeah. Like, at many points. It uses humor to some pretty great effect yeah. at times. Uh, and I wanted to talk about what... You, what were you guys' favorite funny moments? Family Guy funny, funny moments. This uh, is, I mean, the if a frog had wings, it wouldn't bump its ass so much. Like, follow me. Um, like, it's a funny line. I Maybe it opens up something bigger. Like, what did you all think of that line? I, Does I, it make sense? Or is I he lo- just, is that a line he can say that is nonsensical to, like, give him the upper hand in a I, conversation? That was how I interpreted okay. it. Yeah. I love that he used that several times, though, yeah. because he's like, you follow after every time and then he doesn't really give them time to answer because, right. of course not. It's no, nonsense. Right. Like, yeah. Sheen gives a great, like, uh, yeah, I follow. But then when he says it to, whatever, the two... O'Shaughnessy people, they're just um, no. and like that's that's the that's the deal, right? Like right. McCabe is such a bullshit artist that yes. it's like if you spin cloth and then are like you follow, then like it's like it, if you <laughs> say that you can you. you can yeah exactly put the impetus on them to like to have to invent something in their head yeah, that right. makes sense, which yeah. absolutely doesn't, especially in the context. His story about the frog and the stork. Like, <laughs> yeah. was that just a funny story? Was Pause. that supposed to have any thematic resonance I mean, I think it was just a joke. Yeah. It was a, it was a great a joke. A great joke. <laughs> an amazing joke. Yeah. Or he just doesn't know how to converse in that situation. I don't know. But um, it was also socially awkward. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the funniest part of the movie for me was his monologue where he's talking. He's like, he's like talking to uh, Mrs. Miller, who isn't in the room, but he's like, uh, like Thanks. having this big speech about how he loves her and how he, he says like, I have poetry in me. Yeah. I just, I'm not a, I'm not an educated man. I can't write it down. I have the good sense not to try it, to write it down. But I, I have a screenplay. poetry in me and, and I, I can be profound. And it's like, he's so like good. arguing about why he's like actually not an idiot. Uh, and it's, it's like the so fucking funny. Of comedy. His, his yeah. monologue. Yeah. King of comedy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's, there's the his, his monologues are some of the best parts of this movie because they just show how like how cowardly and hateful and like self yeah. building up that he is They're really as a sad. character. The way they the way Robert Ullman executes those where he's just watching him for five minutes, just panning back and forth. It's just really sad. It's <laughs> just, just the loneliest man I've ever seen. Harry did a really good impression of his uh yeah. of his little mumblings when he's drunk. Oh yeah. yeah. I love those mumblings. It was like me waking up for work every day. Oh morning. yeah, that's me every day for sure. Bitch. I just some bitch fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> he's just farting and yeah. burping. Farting everywhere. and burping and swearing. <laughs> totally and, alone. Yeah. yeah. Those sound effects, the burp sound effects are like six dBs, like above Money the dialogue. Money and pain. Money <laughs> and pain. That's like his his chorus. He like says it constantly. God. I wonder if Robert Altman just did that himself. Those voices, <laughs> just some foley work. I was going to ask how how many like how many of those scenes, how many of those lines were just uh, like uh, what's the term ad libbed yeah, from from uh, yeah. Warren Beatty. I guess I'm in the minority. I didn't like his big monologue scene a whole lot. Yeah. Um, I had issues, especially early on. Not that I think movies should cater to the audience and spoon feed them everything um there were some very distinct scene and setting changes um some like semi-jarring cuts that like brought us to different times uh you know many weeks or months into the future and you had to put that together and it was fine but i also thought it was kind of an excuse to get out of showing like 
not necessarily tough, but semi-challenging, like, conversations. Um, even just really basic things are just like, okay, McCabe is winning everybody over in this bar, and then all of a sudden they're building a town for him. I would have liked to have seen a conversation that, like, kind of gets us there. Yeah, yeah. That. And, like, yeah, for we, sure. we learn a lot by, by seeing um, just things play out. Um, having um, Beatty talking to himself for five minutes it it wasn't five minutes that's an exaggeration it seems like it 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 does seem like it and we're hearing and learning so much about how he feels by watching him kind of give this shakespearean not shakespearean (laughs) but um like that's essentially what it is right like he's he's talking about his emotions instead of like like they're a great just show like have more scenes between your two title characters i'm not gonna argue with that um i do really like the the sense of desperation that talking alone gives yeah Uh, this is such a movie about like wanting your bullshit to make the world better like yeah it's like man if i if He's so desperate. Like, if I could just talk my way into making the world work, like, if yeah. I could just make it fair, it would work out. Yeah. And there's something about that silence, about how he's talking to no one. It, it's, uh, yeah. And then contrasting by him putting an image out of himself in front of other people. As right. to those moments, which is really interesting. Because, yeah. I mean, this is McCabe in a nutshell, is like in those alone moments, which, you know, so it's at yeah. least have one of those scenes, but I can see how it did kind of uh, extend those too long where it's like, okay, where, where's Mrs. Miller? McCabe and Mrs. Miller yeah. for sure. Yeah. And uh, again, getting back to the whole track here, which is how funny this movie is, that, uh, especially that big monologue scene, like that was very inherently hilarious. Uh, the violin is also really, really funny. I also yeah. love how Robert Altman, I don't know if you guys have seen the other Altman movies, but he does this in all of his movies, The Long Goodbye, Nashville, Shortcuts, or, or mostly in Nashville, but where he has these side conversations of characters. And I think in this one, I remember specifically where it was a bartender or someone who wanted to shave his beard. And mm-hmm. the guy's like, why the hell would you do that? And like, <laughs> it came back to it at another part, part two, where he shaved. I love but that. But there's always these like, weird moments where it establishes <laughs> the just the char- the background characters so you don't feel like they're background characters you feel like they're actually part of that that fa- that um, mm-hmm. civilization um, Nash- if you guys haven't seen Nashville I seriously it's one of my favorite movies um, and there's a lot of parallels I think between this especially with the end there's I won't ruin it but in Nashville there's this big like in this one there's the church burning and then there's this um other thing going on with McCabe and there's somewhat of a similar thing going on in Nashville where there's this big event happening and then it focuses on this person and the contrast between that but he does a great job in that movie and all of his movies of just focusing on characters observing them and overlapping dialogue seeing side conversations and making them feel you know very lived in and alive characters as opposed to just people with lines and Mm -hmm. we have to we have to see you know obviously a lot of movies like I I think of The Walking Dead specifically Mm -hmm. of like these huge you know ensemble characters and we have to see these people talk about this thing for the plot to move forward yeah. but she doesn't do it all he just observes his characters talking as they would oh that's awesome which yeah um the long goodbye too is one of my favorite movies that movie is peak elliot gould and peak uh film noir los angeles it's great nice. yeah elliot gould. that sounds great i haven't seen either of those movies if you guys have seen inherent vice it's like a direct rip off of the long goodbye oh nice huh. long goodbye is better but i like inherent yeah. vice a lot i've read yeah. the book though yeah same um Maybe one of my, maybe my favorite, I don't think it's my favorite line. It might be, um, Jesus Christ, the church is on fire. <laughs> um, which uh, maybe it was because, and uh, a more obscure movie shout out on this show. Um, but it reminded me of that one scene in Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, um, <laughs> where they go into the holy room of, um, oh God, uh, 
freak shows. I think that's his name, his house, and it's just filled with like Jesus paraphernalia. Wait, the Christopher oh, yeah. Maloney character? Uh, I don't. The the sort of backwoods fella. Yeah. Yes. That's yep. Christopher Maloney under there. Oh, okay, sure. Wild from Law and Order SVU. No? Yeah, those, these are things that I've heard of. Okay, just <laughs> um, making sure. They, they walk in and they go, oh, Jesus Christ, and that's like more on the nose. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, um, we didn't really have time to talk about the opium in the in the final scene. Uh, we're kind of out of time, though, right? It's pretty yeah. long. We're, you can go all day. Okay. Uh, it, this movie's like weirdly really sympathetic to and interested in depicting realistic depictions of drug addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically... Drug addiction as a means of escaping from no-win situations that are imposed by systemic injustice, mm-hmm. which is like how you – a really interesting and, in, in, in my opinion, valid way to characterize an approach to uh, drugs and drug addiction. Yeah. What we're referencing here is that um, Mrs. McKay or Mrs. Miller is uh, is addicted to opium. Right. And she hides she, it under a bed. She smokes it in the uh, brothel at multiple points. And the final scene in the movie after McCabe dies alone in the snow is that she's in um, maybe an opium den of some kind with lots of uh, Chinese people, which, again, that, you know, yeah. sucks probably. Um, but uh, – and she she smokes opium and, and, like, the final scene in the credit sequence is, like, a an opium sort of vision, right? She's looking at, at this, like, resin um, holder and it sort of takes on a kaleidoscopic kaleidoscopic effect mm-hmm. and that's what plays out over the credits uh which is wild it, it's it's crazy that the, that the movie ends with those shots yeah that's mm-hmm. wild especially a movie that that hasn't been at all um like that hasn't used that that sort of vocabulary at all mm-hmm. up to that point um but but it's interesting right like it it's interesting how sympathetic it is to the idea of drug use as like this is mrs miller's way of, of coping with a world in which she is fundamentally disempowered and in which, despite the myths that we're all raised to believe, she does not have recourse, right? Like, this McCabe experiment was her attempt to win power in an unjust world, and still the system was set up to make that impossible, right? Like, the corporations are never going to let you have power. Mm-hmm. Like, the idea of fairness or justice or the free market is a joke. Literally, in this movie, it's a bad joke. It, with um, that lawyer scene. Yeah. yeah. Um, and McCabe and, and Mrs. Miller are both people desperate for creating a better world, and the movie is about how it is impossible for that to happen the way things are right um and and how like it ends on that unbelievably low note where it's like all you can have is this opium <laughs> like this escape into yeah. a magical world where things are where there isn't less pain because you're medicating it yeah. uh, and then without McCabe once he's spoiler dead in the snow yeah. uh we're literally seeing through her eyes for the first time like with those credits shots those psychedelic like Super saturated mm-hmm. oh, and interesting. balloon yeah. shots of this, like you said, this little resin canister where the opium is being held. I didn't realize that's what we were seeing at first. I, I thought it was so. just like a lens flare or something. But then, the longer you watch it, the more you notice the striations in the porcelain mm-hmm. and stuff. Just like really weirdly beautiful moment that the movie ends on, where it could have ended on like uh, the Shining type thing, where it just sort of ends on um, McCabe's on picture face will in the crowd in a uh, in a crowd <laughs> yeah, from no. the brothel <laughs> days. Yeah, that that's how I thought it was going to end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this movie was set in 1902, I think, yep. right? Because on, We see it on the gravestone. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's 
also pretty contemporaneous to uh, Red Dead Redemption it is. Two, two, which is just prior to 1900. Yeah. Seriously, like I know what it you're was doing with really your Sunday. Sad. Oh man, <laughs> I'm, almost, I'm almost done with that game. Yeah. The ending goes on oh, a wow, long nice. time, but I'm, I'm not nearly that far. It's uh, you'll, you'll you'll get there. You'll, get, you'll become a gamer someday. He'll be yeah. a gamer someday. <laughs> Me too. Uh, that's. I think that's most of what I had to yeah. say about the movie. Anybody else have any lingering thoughts? Uh, my only remaining thought is, what's the matter, Pat? You got a turd in your pocket or something? <laughs> what the fuck did that mean? Is it just like, are you in a bad mood for something? Problem, probably. Like, if you didn't feel like you broke that line out when people were actually in bad moods. I think McCabe, McCabe said it to Sheehan Wright when he was questioning right. about his and origins. It's sort of, yeah. I, I guess going back to, like, the frog comment, like, it could just be a deflective, yeah. hilarious thing. I don't think it necessarily it, ma- it makes any sense, was at least in that situation. deflective, right? Yeah. Because it works so well. It does. Like, everybody else in the bar thinks it's fucking hilarious. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. like, it's, it's hilarious in the way that, like, your toadies... Uh, like for a bully would laugh at a joke that's not yeah. actually funny in order to win status with that right. guy. Like McCabe is like a celebrity here and he makes a bad joke and everybody around just fucking loves it yeah. because they want to like <laughs> yeah. be in with McCabe. Yeah. And they turn on Sheehan immediately after. Yeah. They're like, come on, we're trying to play poker here or whatever. It reminds me a lot of Goodfellas with Joe Pesci in the, in the <laughs> <laughs> movies. Everyone's just around him laughing saying anything he says, they're on his side. But he's ruthless in that movie. That's yeah. <laughs> I'm glad Joe Pesci pointed out how ridiculous that uh, social dynamic is I'm just like how am, oh, I, yeah. how am I funny oh yeah, yeah tell yeah. me what was funny about me saying yeah, yeah, he has exactly. a turn one of the best pocket. scenes yeah obviously <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't have much more to say I suppose um, this movie in a weird stupid way that probably only makes sense to me uh, reminded me of Chinua Akebe's Things Fall Apart um, which is an amazing book that everybody should read um, Okonkwo, the main character, is is defined by a uh, performance of masculinity in a similar way. Um, and that book is a reaction to Heart of Darkness, which the bucket scene reminded me of. So that's how I got there. Wow, uh, this is the Harry Mack and Matrix. Yeah, like six degrees of separation. <laughs> um, but anyway. Harry, yeah. you said that you weren't going to rate this until we spoke about it. Yeah. Uh, your letterbox rating oh is... Oh, You'll wow, have to see. Oh, I saw it was just blank. I was yeah. like, that's an interesting review. Uh, it'll be more than three and a half stars, I think. Okay. Which I is think, Cody's. I don't remember if I, I rated it. And I think it's also yep. mine. Yeah. Yeah. I think it probably... Yeah, I think it'll grow on me the more I watch it. I have a criterion. I'm definitely going to watch it again again his all of his oh, movies grow on me pick up the criterion of this then yeah mm, it's beautiful good. shout out to criterion hell yeah i think they just put a new one now i don't know maybe not um yeah i uh love this movie a lot it's actually probably one of my favorite westerns now that i think about it um i don't know where to put it in the top five or something like that but it's one of the most different looking westerns and it's one of those movies that like all of robert altman's movies um i think i could just put it on and like like i do this with shortcuts a lot there was like a period where uh before i went to work i would just put shortcuts on in the background and just have it play while i eat breakfast because this movie is just like you just want to live in the worlds that he creates especially the long goodbye too you just want to like live with the characters because there's not a whole lot of plot going on there's just establishing environments characters going in and out talking dialogue and so it's something you can play on in the background but it's also a you know very intellectually satisfying movie as well you know since Um, we said that we were going to be signing off this is turning into the long goodbye you know what I mean (laughs) Uh, should Jason. we do a line? <laughs> Are we going to do Your lines for line? the movie? Uh, I think, I think uh, Cody already brought mine up, but we can go around the table. John, do you have like a favorite line from this movie? I do like the line where she's eating a lot of food and then she says something about his clone, but I can't remember the exact line. Oh, At the mm. time, I was like, that's fucking amazing, but now I don't remember. That was a show-stopping line. Great establishing yeah. shot. And, yeah. and also, like, she doesn't believe his bullshit, right? Yeah. Like, that's, yeah. If, like, if really you want to buy, like, if, if you want people to buy into your high 
something class cologne. Or yeah, it was a you brand. Stop wearing cheap ass cologne. Something like that it was great. Yeah. And the way the look he gives is like fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh man, I've been found. I think the music. There's even a slight yeah, musical cue. Yeah, it wasn't like a direct times. like record scratch, but it was yeah, so good. Uh, there, that violin thing happens all the time, and there's always a s- slow zoom into their face. Oh, yeah. I want to call out that line because it is really good. I want to read it verbatim. It's, if you want to make out like you're such a fancy dude, <laughs> you ought to wear something besides that cheap jockey club cologne. <laughs> Records. Go fucking guy in a bar and just say that. Tore him a fucking part. <laughs> you got that from the rules. article that looks good. Yeah, I, I didn't read this. It's on a place called Little White Lies. It's called Why McCabe and Mrs. Miller is a Feminist Masterpiece. Hey, John. Hey, Who's that we should call that out. We should. <laughs> by, by me named Martin Contario oh okay it's Martin Martin it's Martin uh, with a Y I'm assuming that's yeah. a man's name we don't know we don't know maybe yeah it's a pretty cool way to spell Martin uh, I'm gonna cheat my favorite line is a line from uh, Leonard Cohen's The Stranger Song oh you son of a <laughs> yeah um, that's not cheating uh, he said and well he talks his dreams to sleep you notice there's a highway that is curling up like smoke above his shoulder and suddenly you feel a little older which is an unbelievable God. piece of songwriting nice <laughs> Um, I think my favorite will a- would actually be, especially now after we've discussed it, the if a fro- frog had wings, he wouldn't bump his ass so much. Follow me. Um, if for any other reason, because there's a version of that line spoken by Cassandra in the movie Wayne's World. Um, it isn't line by line verbatim, but it's like it prompts Wayne Campbell to ask, uh, "Interesting, where did you learn English?" Um, it's just like a very a very nice like it's. Just- it's one of our first, yeah, introductions to her character, and I love Wayne's World. So. Wow, what a good! I never, I did not think pole. for a second we were going to be referencing Wayne's World and Harold and Kumar. Incredible! He was playing in that this whole time. Movies I wasn't allowed to watch as a kid. <laughs> I, I bring garbage to the table. Just kidding! I love those both those <laughs> movies. Um, I am going to cheat too because my favorite line was the one Cody just mentioned for the reasons uh, the um, if a frog had wings he wouldn't bump his ass so much. Follow me. Because it is, it encapsulates the character of yeah. came to me that like he's literally putting this, he's just putting out chaff to like distract people from the fact that he doesn't really know what he's doing. He's showboating like there is no center. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so it's it that's pretty. It's pretty much John McCabe in a line for me because I'd never heard that phrase before. I didn't know that. I don't know that it's a common thing. Yeah. Uh, so it's gonna it's gonna stay in this movie for me. Also, weirdly enough, he's a frog who never really got his wings, did he? He just kept bumping his ass. Oof. We should end there. Aren't we all just frogs bumping our ass so much in the end? Fade outro music. That was the end. Come on. Turn off the podcast. We can't end the podcast like that. Hit the button. Uh, thank, <laughs> thank you very much for listening to Try Love that we've been talking about. McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Uh, tune in next time for whatever movie we do next. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Bye.